Well, if you weren't here last week, Bob shared from Psalm 111, and it was an awesome time of sharing community stories. Um, I'd encourage you to listen to it online if you couldn't be here, because people were able to share about the great things God has done in their lives and all the things that we have to praise God for. And I loved listening online and hearing the stories um, of how God used painful situations in people's lives to change their character and make them more Christ-like. And that theme goes along with what I'm going to share today from Psalm 73. Um, This psalm is full of great insights, many topics that you could research and and spend time thinking about. In fact, as I was preparing for this week, I found entire books written on just this psalm. I think it has a lot of depth, and so much of it um, touches things that we struggle with as humans. And I love that psalms like this are included in the Bible, because this certainly isn't a happy-go-lucky, life-is-wonderful-all-the-time psalm, but it's an emotional, honest passage written by a man who was struggling with some pain. Justin's going to come right now and read the psalm. Um, What page is it, Justin? Yeah. It's page uh, 407. It's a little bit long, so go ahead and flip flip to it. Yeah. So here we go. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten the oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children when I tried to understand all this. It was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. First, just a little background on this psalm. Um, You'll notice at the top it says book three, right before Psalm 73. This does start off the third book. I'm sorry, I'm not used to this whole Justin Timberlake mic thing yet. Um, Try to stop doing that. Anyway, it does start off book three. There are five total books or groupings of psalms. I think Bob's mentioned that before. Um, 
but they kind of correspond with the first five books of the Old Testament. So this third book that starts off kind of corresponds with the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus, um, one of the main points of that is revealing the inner workings of a man's heart. We see our need for God, our awareness of our sin, and then what God um, offers to do about it. So that's what you can kind of expect out of this third book of Psalms that goes along with that theme. Additionally, um, this psalm was not written by David. It tells us right at the beginning, it says, a psalm of Asaph. Um, He was a member of the tribe of Levi, um, who were the priests at the time, and that is who David had put in charge of the worship at the tabernacles. So he's who wrote that. I just think this psalm is so relative because it addresses a major issue that all of us face in life, and it's the struggle with the problem of pain. Um, I've been recently reading a lot on this topic and have come to understand that I myself have kind of a skewed view of the role of pain in my life, Um, and also the way that we as humans um, come to try and avoid pain at all costs. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to address everything that the Bible says about pain um, right now or every aspect of why it happens and what God can do with it, but I just think there are some important things we can learn from this specific psalm that I'm going to share with you today. I think it spoke to me um, so much because I've recently been in a season of my life, really for the last two years, that have been pretty painful for me. Sorry, I can't do all this. Um... Basically, it started a couple years ago with a really rough pregnancy. Um, I had a long, long, rough pregnancy that I did not enjoy. And then after the birth of my son, Elijah, um, he's had some medical issues that we've faced, um, minor things, um, but he just had some major reflux problems that caused him to be just a really fussy baby, never wanting to sleep, um, ended up with a sleep disorder. He, so he's you know, 17 months old and still doesn't sleep through the night. So been exhausted, facing a lot of just, just rough stuff um, in that way. And then kind of the pain that it's caused inside of me. Um, none of it was devastating or tragic in my life, but for some reason it's put me in a really hard place emotionally and spiritually. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go today. But as we dive into the psalm, we see that Asaph starts off by affirming that he knows God is good. So he was, gonna, he was saying, I'm basically going to tell you some of the stuff I'm struggling with, but I want you to know up front that God is, God is good. And I think that's important when we, you know, look at our struggles in life. We can still believe God is good and still share what we're struggling with. Um, he's going to tell us a way, he says, about, about a way he almost slipped. And scripture is just full of people who share struggles like this, um, especially in the Psalms. And I want to mention here how much I believe in sharing our struggles with other people. One of Wellspring's core values is just being an authentic community of believers who can share deep struggles. This is not the world's culture. I think that the world is full of people who complain, but I don't think that we actually share our deepest pain with each other. Um, I believe even in the church, um, the church in the world, it's come to kind of relate to people that Christians mean, being a Christian means we don't have struggles. Um, And if we are struggling, it must be because of a bad choice that we made or some kind of weak faith going on in our life. It's kind of become this idea that whatever we are experiencing, if there is pain, our love for God and our faith should just be able to kind of overpower our painful emotions and we shouldn't be feeling that pain. So we're trained and taught to push those struggles aside. Um, And by all means, we don't think we should share them because that might make other people uncomfortable. Um, It might make you look like a bad example if you share your struggle. So I could talk about that subject, about the importance of sharing our struggles in community. With I could talk about that for hours, but don't worry, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to be here that long. But not today, I'm not going to talk about that subject. What I want to talk about today is taking a look at ourselves on the inside and how we deal with pain. I want to talk about what I think is going on beneath the surface here with ASAF. And it's something I think requires a hard look at ourselves. 
And like I said, these books in Psalm 3, or in the book of Psalms, the third book of Psalms, they're really about revealing the inner workings of a man's heart and discovering our need for God. So Asaph, Asaph starts off by saying he has a struggle, and he's obviously struggling with jealousy because he tells us that. And that's something I know we can all relate to. I know I've had many times where I've asked God why someone else was prospering or having blessings when I was struggling. And I did face this with Eli. I'd see my friends who had these great happy pregnancies and then these super happy babies that they could just take with them everywhere. And, um, you know, and I, was, I was jealous of that. I was a little bit bitter. But I think there's something else going on in this psalm that, um, beyond just teaching us about struggling with jealousy. We learn later on in the psalm that Asaph is having some kind of just real pain. Um, it says he's being plagued all day long. It doesn't tell us what he's bothered by, but he is being bothered by something. And it says his heart was grieved and his spirit was embittered. So beyond being envious, what kind of pain you know, do we think Asaph is, is having? And what kind of pain is going on in us right now? Um, I want you just to think for a minute right now about something that's painful in your life. It doesn't have to be something huge and tragic, but it's just something that's causing you a little bit of grief or hurt. Um, maybe it's a stressed relationship with a parent. Maybe it's um, problems with your spouse. Maybe it's a hurt from a long time ago. Or maybe you're just experiencing some disappointment in some relationships in your life. I just want you to take a second and pick up your program and just jot a note to yourself on the back about what that pain is. I'm not going to make you share it. and You don't even have to write it all out, just maybe a word or a phrase that's going to make you remember that as we go forward today. So to figure out what's going on with Asaph's pain, I want to take a look at what Asaph is saying he's envious of. I want us to take a close look at some of those descriptions of wicked, the wicked people. Obviously, Asaph's pain must relate to one of the areas he mentions because he's envying those people who apparently aren't struggling with it. So let's look at verses 4 through 12, and I'm going to ask you guys to help me. Um, what does he say about the wicked people? Just raise your hand. Or... Stacy. They're callous and conceited. Okay. Yeah, Kim. They have no struggles, right? What else? Yeah, Kim. They're healthy and strong. Okay. Eric. They are free from burdens common to man. Yeah. Stacy. But they also speak with malice. Sure. Interesting. Aaron. Yeah, their mouths lay claim to heaven, but they also take possession of the earth. So, yeah, good. Anything else? Okay. <clears throat> According to Asaph's perception of the wicked people, they have no struggles. They're healthy, they're free from burdens, like we said, um, they're prideful and violent says. Um, they're always carefree. I think we could all find struggles in, in the, some of those areas, like maybe you're struggling with health, or this, he mentions that they're financially wealthy, you know, maybe that's a struggle for you, but maybe your struggle fits into a different category, and I, I hope you had time to write that down as we go on. So is there anyone in this room who would say they have never encountered pain or struggle? I didn't think so. Um, the fact is, there is pain and struggle in life. But Asaph is seeing these wicked people and saying they don't have problems. So I think one of two things is happening here. Either the wicked people have protected themselves in life so much that they don't actually put themselves in position that might cause them to struggle, or they've elected to be fake about it and not share it with others. And I've already told you how I feel about that part of it. So let's look at the other possibility for a minute. 
you know, is it possible to completely protect yourself from pain? I'm reading a great book right now. It's by Larry Crabb. It's this book. It's called Inside Out. I'm reading it with a group of people here from the church. And I would recommend for anyone to read this book. It's been pretty heart-changing for me. And one of the parts that has hit me so hard that I've had to reread several times as I ponder what's going on in my heart um, is something that Dr. Crabb calls the sin of self-protection. Um, in a nutshell, Dr. Crabb says that as humans, we are conditioned to avoid pain. Um, we make our worlds as comfortable as possible, not just physically, but emotionally. We take great measures to protect ourselves from being hurt. Um, and in the times when we are actually hurt, we take greater steps to make sure we protect ourselves from that kind of hurt ever happening again. Our strongest personality traits often evolve um, from our desire to protect ourselves from pain. And they can even look like good or honorable traits in the end. Um, Dr. Crabb says, we tend to relate to one another with the hidden purpose of maintaining our comfort and avoiding whatever sort of interaction we feel we might find threatening. So maybe you're an easygoing person you know, who doesn't voice your opinion much, and that makes you really likable for people. But maybe you're actually, what you're doing is protecting yourself by not giving your real opinions so you don't have to face rejection. Maybe that's something that's painful for you and you don't want to be rejected again. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're a driven, confident, opinionated person who accomplishes a lot in life, but inside you're just really afraid of losing control. So you protect yourself by working hard to assure that you get what you want out of life. I think there are a million ways we try to protect ourselves from emotional pain, and a lot of times this massively affects how we relate to people, just like the wicked people that they mentioned, just the, the violence and the callousness and the arrogance and, the, and those relationships. So I can honestly say that at various times in my life, I know I've been self-protective either in the way of hiding my pain or by avoiding potentially painful situations. Um, I've experienced relationships with people who I know are so self-protective that they probably don't have a lot of struggle in life. Maybe you can think of this, and maybe, maybe it's you. You know, they don't make new friends. They don't join new groups. And they, don't, they stop coming to church because it just asks too much of them. Um, they do the minimum amount necessary just to survive and keep themselves um, away from people enough that they just avoid discomfort. And when they do experience pain or struggle, those people I'm thinking of, um, they get pretty angry and they pull farther away from God. They say, why is God doing this to me? This isn't fair. I, you know, I'm leading this pretty safe, good life. You know, I don't understand why this is happening. So maybe a question here to ask is, what are you avoiding because of you're afraid it might be painful or difficult? It could be as simple as avoiding deep friendships um, or maybe keeping yourself busy enough at work that you don't have to be around your family could be bigger things that you're avoiding. Um, I think that if you look at that pain thing that you have right now, you could probably have some insight into things that you're wanting to avoid. I just want to brag for a minute on my friend Stephen Kendra and their um, view on avoiding or not avoiding pain. And, um, you know, we just said that they came home on Friday with their two new kids from Africa. And a few years ago, Kendra shared with me that basically she'd become a little uncomfortable with how comfortable they were. Their life was going along pretty good and pretty easy. They had their two perfect children, and, um, you know, Steve's job was great. And they just knew that that wasn't where God wanted to leave them. And so they kind of went in searching for what God wanted to do, and God put adoption on their heart, knowing this would be a little bit painful or a struggle in a lot of ways. So they walked towards that pain, and I think God's going to bless them for that, and I can't wait to see even more about, um, you know, what God does in their life. But I just think that we so many times just long for that comfort and to be safe and secure. And I just think that God doesn't want to leave us there. So anyway, just wanted to mention that. That was some story that came to my mind. Um, one surprising way, as I talk about this self-protection, one surprising way I see people being self-protective in life recently is through something I call positivity. I know a number of people who are striving to be positive people. There's nothing wrong with that at all until it becomes your total life focus 
Um, I mean, I've seen some people I actually think are kind of using positivity as their new religion. It's appealing, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to just have happiness in life? But these people refuse to share anything they're struggling with, um, and they don't utter any negative words, and they kind of look down on people who struggle as complainers. Um, now, I myself believe that happiness is a choice in the moment, like this morning when my four-year-old spilled his entire bowl of kicks on the floor and stepped on it on purpose. Tried not to kill him, so trying to be happy in the moment. And I know I could probably try and complain a little bit less, but not at the cost of being a real, authentic human being. <clears throat> I read a quote recently that highlighted some of this happiness, positivity, mentality. This is from the book Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, and it's going to be up on the screen. It says, happiness is the consequence of personal effort. You fight for it, strive for it, insist upon it, and sometimes even travel around the world looking for it. You have to participate relentlessly in the manifestations of your own blessings. And once you've achieved a state of happiness, you must never become lax about maintaining it. Again, I think we all want to be happy, so what, what do you think I think the problem with this quote is? John. Okay. The fact that happiness is just a perpetual state of being. Okay, what else? Stacy? That was like the pursuit of happiness is your God. Right, okay. It's kind of put the pursuit of happiness in place of your pursuit of God. Yeah. Go ahead, Stacy. Okay, she said she's come to be convinced that the pursuit of happiness just for the sake of being happy is going to, it's going to always elude you. It's not actually going to be something you can accomplish. Kendra, what do you want to say? Yeah, it's that you are going to be the one in control of your happiness, and you can actually control that. What else do you see? Anything? Well, I think it, it does put us in this role of the fact that we can truly demand happiness. Um, you know, we become so averse to experiencing any kind of discomfort that we will travel around the world looking for happiness and comfort. So what is the cost of this if we would live like this? I think it would make us give up relationships that get a little bit hard. I think that um, we would turn to not serving others because that's a little uncomfortable. Um, and for me, it would lead to frustration when I don't find the promised happiness. And then I would probably work to cover up my unhappiness even more because I don't want to, you know, put out there that I'm not happy and that would make me become even less authentic and honest with God. And that's kind of where the wicked people in the psalm end up. They ended up saying, God doesn't understand us. You remember that line in there? Say, you know, God doesn't know. How can the Most High have knowledge? So the more that you protect yourself from that kind of feeling and you want to be happy, I think that it leads you to thinking, God doesn't understand me. So living without self-protection in your life is something that requires a profound trust in Christ, even to the point that you risk experiencing some personal pain. I just want to say I'm not against happiness, and I'm not actually saying that being happy um, leads you away from God. But the, and the Bible does say the joy of the Lord is my strength. So there is joy and happiness in life. But I am just saying um, that focusing on the self-protection to the point that you avoid the pain at all costs and refuse to let anything get you down, that is what leads you away from God. I'm saying that living a blessed, godly life is probably going to involve some pain. Um, we heard some stories last week of how people had pain in their life and how God used that and to bring him closer to him. 
Um, in the book I mentioned, Dr. Crabb says that we actually need to change our view of pain and realize that God puts pain in our lives, so we'll stop and look at our hearts and how we are relating to him and how we're relating to others. And the Bible's pretty clear about life having struggles. Um, you know, it's the entire book of Job is about a struggle. Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows. Um, and John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you have, may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So neither of those verses say life's about happiness and lack of struggle, and, and if you do face trial, avoid that pain, you know, and get happy anyway. In fact, James goes on to talk about how trials end up producing maturity in us. Dr. Crabb says the mark of maturity is love, and the essence of love is relating without self-protection. So protecting ourselves from pain and struggles or just dismissing them is truly a shallow way to live um, and does not lead us to pursue God um, or become more loving to others. So I said today we were going to take a look at the inside a lot, and I want to look at what we do when we avoid looking at our pain, even avoid dealing dealing with it with God. The fact is... Um, Like we said, even if you do try to self-protect and and stay away from pain and be happy, pain is going to find you. You know, no one asks for cancer or for a rebellious child or for a tornado to destroy their home. No one goes out looking for that, and there's things you can't protect yourself from. So think back to the pain I asked you to think about earlier. Look at that for a second. How are you actually dealing with that pain right now? You know, it's not human nature to want to be in pain. So I think that we usually just want relief from our pain Um, We want to try to deny pain is there or push it down. Um, I believe that modern Christianity is just starting to see that pain is not something to merely turn over to God and forget about. Um, It's not that simple. You know, how many times have you turned something over just to wake up the next day and it's still there? Sometimes you can't just pray harder or join a Bible study about that topic um, and see the pain melt away. Can't simply forget or just believe God wants us to try and drop it, put on a happy face, and move on. I want to look at the psalm again. Um, let's look at verses 21 and 20, 21 through 24. What does Asaph do um, in there? Anybody? What does Asaph do? Okay. Since he she said he acknowledges his true condition before God. Look at verse twenty-two. It says that he was grieved and bitter before God, and he was actually senseless. He acted ignorantly. He was a brute beast before Him. I believe that he was showing God and telling Him the actual pain in his heart with abandon. Um, he, didn't, he dropped his self-protection before God and said, I'm going to tell you how upset I am about this pain that's going on in me. Um, he opened his heart and he poured it out. He didn't run from his pain or try to stuff it down with trite Christian phrases or a prescription for his pain um, or healing. He faced it and he opened up about it. I think we need to look at what's happening with that pain that you wrote down and stop and feel that, face it, and kind of explore it with God. I want to ask you today, who would you become if you were honest with yourself and God about the pain that you're in? How does God respond to Asaph then once he has done this? What does it say? Does he say, you foolish guy, just get over it and pray about it more? It's Aaron. Yeah. 
Yep, it says he guided him and he counseled him, moved him through his pain. He, met that, he, did, he did meet him in his pain. Um, and it, it leads to a few familiar verses you might know, verses 25 and 26 that kind of get pulled out of this psalm. It's, uh, Asaph is saying, after this has happened, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see how Asaph's character has changed through this time? Um, you know, at the beginning he was envying people and envying the wicked and their lack of struggle. And... Um, then he goes on to basically perceive that they are pain-free. And anyway, he basically, sorry, I lost my place. Um, he wanted to avoid the pain like the wicked, but instead he chooses to be near God. And he gives all of his pain to God. And he says that he would basically live in pain if it was about, if he could still be near God. So um, I think it's important to notice that it doesn't say that God took away his pain or, or fixed his pain. Whatever he was struggling with, it wasn't instantly gone. Um, but he says that God held him and he became the strength of his heart and Asaph saw that it was good to be near God. So when I started dealing with some of my pain with my son, Eli, um, I went through a whole set of steps before I learned what Asaph is showing us here. A lot of it reveals some self-protection in myself. Um, when I first realized that he wasn't a normal happy baby, I kind of took on that mode of control and self-protecting and saying, um, you know, I know God's going to get us through this. We can do it. It's going to be temporary. No big deal. Um, so, you know, tried to do that. Some days and some weeks went by and things weren't getting better. So I thought, you know, God really wants to probably show me something in this. So I need to search for what it is I'm supposed to be learning. Um, so I frantically searched, you know, what is, what's wrong in me that I can fix so that this can be over. Um, and God did teach me some things and revealed some things, but our struggle continued. And I kind of moved on to a new way and I started kind of demanding that God fix it. I would say, I know that you can fix this, so do it. That's it, you know. Um, so it was a while before I realized that uh, my prayers were focusing more on demanding those things from God rather than admitting my pain and just passionately praying and asking him um, to help me and to, to give me some grace. So it was painful um, for me to let go of my self-protection and just to say, you know, this is hard. I'm in pain and I need you to be with me in this. I, I had to break down a couple times and finally just pour out my heart and say, I don't know when or if this will get better but I am just choosing to be near you, and I'm going to stop demanding things from you. I'm just going to love you and worship you and let you meet me in this pain. I didn't start to have any happiness after that or any easiness. Um, days didn't get easier, but I did have joy um, that talks about that joy that we said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Um, so I feel like I'm starting to learn a little bit about what, As what Asaph had learned, that being near God, regardless of those struggles and that pain, um, it's totally worth it. So... So Asaph was initially in pain. He looked at the wicked people, you know, saw they had no struggles, envied them, and then he finally got it. Um, look at verse 19. What happens, what does he see happen to the wicked people? They're destroyed. Okay, good. It says that they were led far from God. Um, the point is, abundant full life is not ha fake happiness or repressing painful things. I don't think that the wicked suddenly, I don't think God suddenly gave them a bunch of trials, um, but they, they, were, they were led far from God. So the ultimate good in life and the ultimate joy is just in the nearness of God, no matter what your personal state is. I think it's about sharing our whole heart with him um, and dropping our self-protection to let him know us fully. Like Bob said last week, it's less about comfort and more about character and Christ-likeness. So I want to challenge you to take that painful thing you've been thinking about and just to ask yourself what you're protecting yourself from in that. How are you being self-protective? How are you avoiding that pain? Have you run away from facing it 
Um, maybe it's a painful relationship and you're just trying to kind of cover it up and, and move on. Are you avoiding it? Have you told yourself that your emotions just don't matter to God? You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. Have you protected yourself even from revealing that pain just fully to yourself and to God? Um, we're going to do communion here in a minute, so I'm going to give you some time to just be quiet before God and, and look at some of that stuff that I shared today. Take a few minutes and pray and ask God what part of your heart you're keeping from him. Um, let him see it and hear from you. Ask him to enter into your pain and deal with it with you without just demanding that he remove it. Um, and then I'm going to close us and we'll, we'll take some communion today.